night gathers, and now my rewatch begins. Welcome back to Oysters, Clams, and Cockles, the number one Game of Thrones podcast in the realm for people who party like Tyrion and slay like Daenerys, brought to you by Grand X Media. I am Ross Bolin here at the Grand X Media Studios in Austin, Texas with Barrett Dudley. What's up? How goes it? It's going okay. Could be better, could be worse. Yeah, just live and direct here on a Monday afternoon. All right. Coming to you from Grand X World Headquarters. In Austin, yeah, this te- is in our Austin, uh, Austin, North Texas. America headquarters. Oh, not our world headquarters. Not to be confused with the, uh, you know, our our South Korea headquarters, for example. Ah, yes. Mm. This is the night's rewatch. We're doing an episode, uh, a podcast for every episode of Game of Thrones, starting with season one, episode one, leading up to the final season of our favorite show, so we can all be as prepared as possible. You should take the black and join us. You should also uh, tell your friends, family members, coworkers. Get as many people on this train as we can. We'll go in super educated. As a member of the Clam Fam and a brother or sister in the Night's Rewatch, you are capable of invoking Sumai on Man Outfitters and getting 15% off your entire order if you spend $150 or more with free shipping included always. So manoutfitters.com is the website you'll go to. Man Outfitters is one of the sites we own and operate here at Grand X that we believe to be the finest menswear one-stop shopping opportunity on the entire internets. We find uh, the best brands in the world, then we source their best products and put them all in one place on Man Outfitters so the shopping's a lot easier for you dudes. If you type in Sumai at checkout, S-U-M-A-I, when you check out, just invoke that shit. You get 15% off. Again, you gotta spend 150 bucks minimum, which should be pretty easy, uh, and free shipping is included. So hit manoutfitters.com today. Invoke Sumai at checkout. Stock up on fresh threads for spring and summer. You can also check out the Ross Bolin collection on Man Outfitters. I got to make my own little favorite picks or whatever. So if you want to see the stuff that I like the most on Man Outfitters, rather than me having to take up a couple more minutes to talk about it, you can just go look at it. It's manoutfitters.com slash collections slash Ross dash Bolin. Easy enough. I also tweeted it. You can find it on there too. Uh, we've got fantastic swim trunks, tees, footwear, hats, polos, shorts, and more. Manoutfitters.com. Check it out today. If you are a Westworld fan, if you're watching season two of Westworld right now, and you like the way we do things for Game of Thrones here at OCC, you should subscribe to our Westworld podcast, Freeze All Motor Functions, which is on iTunes right now. Season two is heating up. It's getting crazy. Um, we just released again today our recap and analysis of episode three of season two of Westworld. On Freeze All Motor Functions, subscribe to that. 866-43-CLAMS is our hotline number. You can call us with questions or takes or theories or whatever you want at any time. It's just a voicemail, so you leave a message. If you mess up, just call back. It's no big deal. We'll delete the one you messed up. 866-43-CLAMS. we got three hotline calls today. Here's the first one. Hey, what's up, guys? This is is Andrew from San Antonio. Um, 
just a quick question, uh, something I've been curious about for the longest time. Why is there Alistair Thorne at the wall? Like, this dude seems pretty keen on, like, power and increasing his place in the world. Um, so, like, why would he give up his family name to go be at the wall? And he's obviously, like, Sir Alistair, so he was a knight somewhere. So it's like, what the hell did he do that he got himself stuck at the wall and, like, is just pissed off all the time, especially at Jon Snow? I don't know. Maybe there's somebody out there who can answer that question, but something I've just been curious about. Uh, thanks, guys. Love the pod. Um, take it easy. Guess what, motherfucker? I can answer this question. Sir Alistair Thorne is at the wall because he fought on House Targaryen's side in Robert's Rebellion, and when that was all said and done, Tywin gave him two options, death or wall. He picked wall. That's why he's there. He's a uh, highborn cunt, as Bronn or Locke or many other ruffians in the Game of Thrones universe would put it. So how about that shit? I didn't, to, I didn't know this, by the way. I had to look it up. Way to go. Yeah. I'm just a... One guy called in, asking a question that he could have put in the Google machine. You put it in the Google machine. I did it. And then answered it here on our podcast. I did the work. That is... <laughs> That is people helping people. Right it really there. is. It re- <laughs> I don't really. Yeah, it's a good point. You know, just you could just Google it yourself. You maybe you're not a you Googleizer. I don't know, but here's the next call. Hey, this is Tyler from H Town, but you know my friends call me uh, Wesley at the Wee's Thirty Nine. Hey, Tyler. I was just listening to RPP uh, Thirty Seven. By the way, cut the check and. What Game of Thrones character would you smoke weed with? So, just, yeah. So, the, the question is, is, it was something we discussed on the Ross Boland podcast, another fantastic show, in my unbiased opinion. Uh, we discussed people we would want to smoke marijuana with that we thought would be fun or interesting. So this guy's question is, which Game of Thrones character? Mine is a little weird. It's probably not what you would think. Like I think a lot of people probably say Tyrion here. Uh, no, I say Hodor. That <laughs> okay. that would be hysterical, endlessly entertaining. You can say one word, you'd die laughing. <laughs> Barrett, who's your choice? Um, I am gonna go with um, Missandei. It's a good answer. Uh, Another yeah. good option would be Marjorie. Frankly, yeah, there's, there's, I really don't have. A, a good reason for it other than uh, you know that might increase my likelihood of sex of sex yes yeah. like and hey, everybody knows sex is better when you're high too so. right yeah exactly yeah. so you know and she's like she seems she seems cool and fun to hang out with and she's a hip chick yeah you get the feeling that she'd probably you know she'd take it well she yeah. wouldn't just be this giggling idiot right she'd, she'd be chill about it and then maybe she'd she'd let you do stuff to her who yeah, knows exactly ex- yeah that's, there, yeah, there that's, it is it's all you can hope for yes one more call. Hi, guys. This is Jackie calling from Philly. Also a fan of your Freeze All Motor Functions podcast. I'm calling with a question. So at the end of se- by the end of season seven, does Tyrion know or have any idea who it was that actually killed Joffrey? Because as we learned in season seven, Jamie only just finds out from Olena that she was involved in Joffrey's death. And most of the rest of the world thinks that 
it was actually Tyrion, which we find out when Arya is watching the play um, when she's with Jack and Hagar and his crew. So let me know what you guys think. I'd love to know if you have any thoughts on who Tyrion think it might be. And that's it. Love you guys. Bye. Well, we saw a little bit of his questioning of this uh, in the last episode where he's trying to figure out, like, who would have benefited the most, basically. Yeah, yeah. Does he ever figure it out, though? I don't know. I can't recall him ever being... Because we know, obviously, Lady Olena tells Jamie point blank. Yeah. But I don't remember if... T- I don't think he knows. Like, I don't think anybody informs him. Yeah, and I don't think... I don't think Cersei ever really knows either. Not that I can recall. It's a good... I don't know. If anybody has any further insight to that, or please... J- Jamie tells her. Jamie does tell Cersei. Okay. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. That yeah. That 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 is right. At the end of towards the end of this last season. Right. Season seven. He does yeah. tell her that. Okay. So she does find out. But no. Then I can't. I don't know why Tyr, how Tyrion would know. Maybe Varys could f- somehow find out and tell. Him. I don't know. But I don't recall a scene where that happened. So it's kind of, I guess it's 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 kind of unimportant. It is. Doesn't really matter. Just, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, those are the hotline calls. 866-43-CLAMS is our number again. Barrett, tell us a, give us an update on the shirt that was promised. Well, actually, last episode, we said that I wasn't going to give an update until it was basically ready to go. All right, I'll cross that off here. <laughs> uh, let's do it. Let's so, get, let's, no, I, no, don't, don't. I, I don't. mean, I, I'll just reiterate what I said last week. We are very close to rounding out the spring 2019 collection for Rowdy. For, uh, for Rowdy. That is, in case you are unfamiliar, you got to be so far ahead in the, in. in in this game, your your seasonal collections are basically due long before they ever see the light of day. If you're an even bigger brand than we are, you got to be even more ahead of it than 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 this, which is basically a, a, a year out. It's crazy. So it's crazy, and we we had a lot of deadlines to meet this month. The game and, is the game, though. Yeah, and we we just we had to unfortunately put the shirt to the back burner. And now now I will not be saying anything else about it until it's ready to go. It is the shirt that was promised, which means that it will it will show up eventually. It really will. I unless, promise. I promise you that. Unless the shirt is much like Stannis, <laughs> which you have to hope it's not. For all of our sakes, I, I certainly hope it's not. Yeah. All right, let's get into season four, episode four, Oathkeeper, written by Brian Cogman and directed by our girl, Michelle McLaren. We start off in Marine. Episode opens up with Masandai. Teaching Masande, Masandai, Masand, whatever. Teaching Grey Worm to speak better English. Uh, initially, it's like voiced over this image of a fire burning, literally between them, in the most obvious metaphor ever. That uh, we find out a little bit of information in the scene about these two's their backstories, though. Whole squad just learning stuff. Just in learning. This season. Just Davos, Davos is out there learning how to read. Getting Grey taught. Worm is, is learning English. English. Whole squad learning. Whole squad's learning. He says, uh, my name is Grey Worm. I come from the summer Isles. Masande's like, it's Isles, dude. Summer Isles. Uh, Masande talks about being from North, how she was taken when she was five years old, how the only thing she remembers of her home was being rowed away, or, yeah, rowed, rowed away from the shore, uh, how white the beaches were, how tall the trees, her village burning, smoke rising into the sky. It's very sad. Grey Worm, however, no recollection of home. He says, unsullied, always unsullied. Before unsullied, nothing. Masande protests. She's like, look, man, one day you could return home. And he's like, fuck that. I don't want to go home. Kill the masters. That's all, that's all he's interested in now. 
that's all he's interested in now is killing the masters stopping slavery is gray worm's only desire how do you feel about that barrett um yeah uh he's he's really he's gonna lead the charge here he's an activist and just in just a second he's an activist Danny comes in and she's like, hey, lesson's going good? Yeah, that's great. Hey, you'll have to continue later because it's time. And this is when the operation takes place. We see a bunch of Unsullied, led by Grey Worm, sneaking a Marine through the sewer system. We get a shot of all these Miranese slaves, like, having a meeting down in the sewer where I guess they live. Uh, or, you know, slave chambers, whatever they're, whatever. I think they're, I think that's, like, maybe just, like, a secret meeting place. Like they're yeah, down under the, They're down in the tunnels. To talk about, like, what to do. It's probably... Well, maybe, I don't know. I guess we don't really know if the slaves actually live with their masters or if they're separate slaves' quarters. But they are, they're having a covert, a clandestine meeting here. Yeah, they're, they're meeting to talk about, like, all right, what do we do here? We've got yeah. this new queen who just defeated the master's champion. She claims she wants us to be free. Some of the Marinese slaves are like, fuck yeah, let's do this. Others, uh, which tend to skew towards the older side. The old heads are a little more skeptical and scared. They're just like, look, man, fuck that. We just want to live, even if it means as slaves. Uh, one of the older slaves is uh, goes so far as to be like, I've been through two slave revolts. They end the same way. The masters have the power and the slaves are dead. Uh, I'm not doing that shit anymore, basically. And that's when Grey Worm rolls in with his squad, and they've all got their, they've got their slave collars on, uh, if you didn't notice, to, to make, you know, to make a point. There's like tape visibly on the back of one of them. Because these dudes, don't, they don't wear collars mm -hmm. anymore. They're not slaves. But they're trying to connect here with the slaves. Is that... Oh, I thought they were just disguised. I, I, I don't know if that was the point. Like, cause I they thought don't, they were basically going to go in there and help the slaves like take over. And they were just... They're, I don't think they do, though. I think like they're they just give them the weapons. They're going to kill some masters looking like slaves, no? I don't think so. I think hmm. it was just to level with them. Okay. Because what he ends up doing is Grey Worm rolls and he says, all men must die, but I promise you a single day of freedom is worth more than a lifetime in chains. Uh, the Miranese slaves are like, look, that's great for you, bro, but you're an unsullied, trained to fight before you could walk. We have no training. We have no weapons. Grey Worm drops that big sack of weapons like war Santa. And uh, he says, there's three of you for every one of them. No one can give you freedom, brothers. You must take it. So it seemed to me, I, th I thought the only reason he was wearing the, they were wearing the slave collars was to, to get some common ground hmm. to, to show them, okay. like, look, we used to be slaves too. Because it didn't seem like any of the Unsullied took part in the actual sacking of Marine. But then again, we can't be we sure. Really we know, only see yeah. that one scene yeah, exactly, after exactly. all. Uh, similarly, just like nobody can give you your freedom, uh, you have to take it. No one, no, one, no one can give you a Lisa mattress. You have to take it. But we can get you 130 bucks off. All you have to do is go to lisa.com slash dragon, L-E-E-S-A dot com slash dragon, and you get $130 off your Lisa mattress plus a free pillow, which would normally cost you 75 bucks. If you want to go the Sapira mattress route, Sapira by Lisa, which is the mattress that I have, it combines memory foam and spring technology. It's fantastic. I love it. It's a little bit more pricey. But that same promo code DRAGON will get dragon. $200 off a Superior mattress. So go to lisa.com slash dragon today. Dragon. You can try either the Lisa or the Superior or get any of the other things they've expanded to offer, including the Lisa blanket, pillows, sheets, foundation, and frames, all available online with free shipping. You can try a mattress in your home for 100 nights risk-free with free shipping always. Uh, and 
if you've listened to the show for a long time, you've heard us harp on Lisa over and over and over about how fantastic these beds are, about how great their pillows are. I finally got a blanket. It's in a box right now, though, so I haven't gotten to use it yet. But I'm psyched to return next week and give you all a review on my Lisa blanket. You have a blanket? I do not have a blanket. No, I'm the f- no. I, maybe I'm the first blanket haver. Yeah. Anyway, I do have a Sapira mattress though. It's delicious. I just have the best sleep on it. Yeah. So I, that's all, that's all that I have on it though. No if, funny business on you, my Sapira. If you know anything it's about for me, sleeping, okay? I value yeah, just sleeping. You sleep it's on for it. sleeping. I it's value good, good sleep. I value napping and sleeping above nearly all else in this world. You people have been calling you a nap god. They have. That's what I've been and hearing. It's very important to me sleep. I, I wouldn't fuck around with you and tell you about a bed that I didn't 100% believe in and sleep on like a baby angel. Not just a baby or an angel. A baby angel. Every day. Lisa.com slash dragon. Trick yourself up. Do it to it. Because nobody can give you a Lisa mattress. You must take it. Next we get this badass scene with uh, these masters are like rolling through Marine, walking around all angry because that's what they do. And they come upon, kill the masters written in blood on a wall. And they're like, oh, what the fuck? That's not cool. <laughs> then they look up and they see their Miranese pyramid statue thing is cloaked with a Targaryen flag. And they're like, oh, shit, that's really not cool. Then suddenly they're swarmed by Miranese slaves from every direction. And there's just people getting jumped and stabbed by like 15 guys at once. It's almost unnecessary. They got like, tw- it's a, it's, this is ganging. They're jumping you, basically. Yeah, well, yeah, but also murdering you. While they jump you. I don't even know if it counts as murder. It's just good old justice killing. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, these dudes are fucked. Next thing you know, we're watching Daenerys walk through the streets of Marine as people shout, Misa! And throw their collars down at her feet. And uh, it's, it's moving. She's conquered yet another city, this time without even having to use her own people to fight, apparently. Just convinced all the Miranese slaves to rise up. And, uh... Now she has to decide, though, what she's going to do with all these masters, right? Because she asks Sir, Sir Jorah, hey, how many people did, she, did they nail? How many children did they nail to posts on the way up here? And it's like 163, I think. Yeah, I think that's right. And she's like, hmm, about that. And as Sir Barristan puts together what she's about to do, he's like, now, now, sometimes it's best to answer injustice with mercy. And she's almost... It's like, he's just trying to make a suggestion. She didn't have to be mean. And she's like, basically like, shut the fuck up, old man. I'm going to answer injustice with justice. I mean, she's just like, she's, she's angry about it though, is my I don't point. Think she, well, yeah, she's mad. She, she's, she's fired she's up. She's mad at the masters. Yeah, she's, that's I don't, true. I'm not getting the feeling that she's like, I know, but I just wish you, Barristan. I just, just wish she'd be a little nicer to him. He's old. Like, respect your elders. <laughs> she's, she's on the warpath right now. I know. She's very feisty. Yeah. Fired up. So then we get to hear and see a bunch of slave masters being nailed to posts for, I don't know, 30 seconds. The screams are audible. It is not pleasant. No. It's a bit much. And the uh, we exit Marine to the image of Danny standing atop the pyramid with that Targaryen flag still draped over the big-ass statue of whatever that thing is. I think it's one of their gods or something. It's the big, it's the big thing. It's the that- slave god. 
on, it's on top of all the cities. God of slave That's cities. That's what we learned earlier this season. Yeah, somebody told us. All the cities have that have that on them. And as we see Danny standing up there, and it's very nice, it's, but we hear the scream still in the background. So it's the, there's obviously a point here, mm-hmm. and it's that Danny's got a bit of a mean streak to her, uh, regardless of all the good she's doing. She hasn't quite learned, like, mercy or any of that yet. She's working on it, one step at a time. In King's Landing... Jamie and Braun are still training uh, with an incredible view. As, as we know, Braun is trying to get Jamie back up to snuff so he can at least do some damage with one hand in a sword fight. And Jamie's getting better. He's improving. We don't know how many lessons deep we are here, but time has passed, presumably. Mm-hmm. And uh, getting better to the point that they do that, they do that thing where, where you're real close to each other and your swords are bumped up against each other uh-huh. and you're like stuck there. and Stalemate. It's like, That's a little stalemate. Yeah, it's like, which one of us is going to be stronger? Yeah, yeah. Except Braun, as we know, is not a clean fighter. He's a dirty guy, so he rips off Jamie's golden hand and slaps him in the face with it and <laughs> knocks him to the ground. And yeah. it's hilarious. Uh, but point being, Jamie's making some progress. Braun he's is got still good funny. De- he's got good defense right now. Yeah, he's not making many offensive moves, but he's he's not getting he's deflecting. Yeah, he's he's yeah he's playing good D. He's doing a lot better than he was last time we exactly. saw. Exactly, which is which is good. Uh, they had this interesting conversation after that. Jamie asks Braun if he thinks Tyrion murdered Joffrey, and Braun's like, "Nah, poison's not his style. Really, murder isn't for that matter. Uh, if you want to know for sure, why don't you ask him? Haven't been to see him yet, eh? He kind of shames Jamie. He he hits him with the old like." Like in Arrested Development, when they shame, uh, what's Michael's sister's name? Lindsay. They shame Lindsay into going to visit the father in mm-hmm. prison finally. Yeah. Uh, I need to stop watching so much of that show. It's really starting to bleed into like every other podcast that I do. <laughs> but he, he, it works. Braun gets under his, into his head here. He takes up some real estate in Jamie's mind. Because in the very next scene, Jamie is visiting Tyrion. Great success. Uh, he tells Tyrion... Like, kind of jokingly, but not. Like, hey, this isn't so bad. I was chained to a wooden post, covered in my own shit for months. At least you have, like, a pot to piss in. He tells Tyrion that he has a pot to piss in. And as there's a famous saying where when you have nothing, you don't have a pot to piss in. I don't even have a pot to piss in. Right. Tyrion literally has a pot to piss in. So he's got, he's not. This, this is the, uh, this is where that saying began. That's not nothing. It's not nothing. Exactly. And and I'm, for real though, Jamie's point, if you look back to his circumstances under the Stark uh, regime, he was pooping himself. Yo, yeah. He was pooping on the floor in his own pants tied to a wooden post. That's significantly worse than Tyrion's circumstances. Oh, I mean, situation-wise, yes. That was bad. I mean, the end game here now, is... We, yeah, right. Which one of them was, you know... Was de- was death more imminent for? I'm not sure. Yeah, maybe mentally Tyrion is more mm-hmm. uh, more in trouble. So, but Jamie's circumstances <clears throat> were shitty. They 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 talk a little bit about this scene inside the episode, and they they talk about well, one how Jamie has like become imp- impotent in a number of areas. You, know, you can't fight anymore. Cersei continues to reject him emotionally and physically. Yep. And uh, so they met, they mentioned some other area with it. He's he's just kind of lost it. And he's just a turd know, out there. He's just a turd. He's just a turd out there. And uh, and yet he won't like actually help Tyrion here. 
and so they, they talk about how that that's like, you know, that's kind of sad for Tyrion that he's got this brother that he looks up to and loves and who obviously cares for him too. But, the, but then Jamie won't actually do anything. But I, and I thought that was, I thought that was an interesting interpretation of this scene. Cause it's not exactly how I read it. The only way I could see it being built up that way a little more is that part of the way Bronn shamed Jamie into going to visit Tyrion is he tells him, that back at the Eyrie, when Bronn had to stand in as Tyrion's champion, Jamie was his first choice because he knew Jamie would ride night and day to come fight for him and save him. But then, of course, as we know, Lady Lysa was like, uh, "Fuck you, we're doing this right now. We're not waiting." That's when Bronn had to jump in. But I, I mean, I just, I guess, I guess it just seems like almost unreasonable to expect that Jamie would have just like freed him here. Because that, to what end? that would mean that Jamie would also have to like basically be running for his life for the for forever if he did that. And obviously, we do get to a point a little bit later, yeah, where that makes yes, more sense. Where that makes but a lot here, more sense. Yeah, but here it doesn't. Yeah, I, I, I'm not with that completely. I, I would, I would, you know, I think if I was, if I'm Jamie here, like I'm exhausting all options to like try to help this, help my brother, help my bro, bro but that's, out. That's that's the last. But one. that's yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, so. I, I feel you. I mean. Because you have to consider the fact that freeing him is not going to be easy. That could easily result in both of them dying as well. That's yeah. not a sure thing by any means. Right, right. So you got to, you know, put some thought into that type of shit. And plus, at this point, Jamie's still being naive enough to think, well, that's why we're having a trial, as he puts it. It's mm -hmm. like, dude, the trial is not going to be fair, but he has yet to accept that, I think. Uh, the subject of Cersei probably trying to avoid a trial altogether by having Tyrion murdered beforehand comes up. And Jamie's like, now that you mention it, she did ask, which is funny. Um, then Tyrion and Jamie share this moment where they're kind of acknowledging to each other. Like, Tyrion asks, are you really asking if I'd kill your son? And Jamie asks in response, are you really asking if I'd kill my brother? And it's the first time we see them kind of openly acknowledge Joffrey as Jamie's son together like that, I think. Like, mm -hmm. Tyrion pokes fun at it and references it and shit on, on different occasions between him and Cersei and him and Jamie. But I don't think this is the first time we see it. He's asking, are you really asking if I'd kill your son? And Jamie replies to that without rebuke. Like, you know what I mean? It's just the first time I see them brother to brother discussing it mm -hmm. uh jamie's like how, how how can i help you and Tyrion's like well you could set me free they go on and on like we just said uh jamie informs Tyrion that cersei has offered a knighthood to whomever finds sansa stark and Tyrion's like sansa Tyrion's like sansa's not a killer not yet anyway flash over to sansa she's on a boat headed to the eerie little finger informs her that he is marrying her aunt lysa the crazy woman who lives up in the sky cell thingy. And uh, Sansa asks if Littlefinger killed Joffrey. He is sarcastically like, I've been in the veil for weeks. And they go back and forth. Littlefinger is like playfully cracking the code slowly for Sansa on how Joffrey got killed, basically. And he eventually informs her that the necklace that Dantos gave her, if, he asks if she noticed a stone was missing after the feast. Sansa wants to know why Littlefinger would do this to the Lannisters who made him rich and gave him Harrenhal, which is the question that a lot of us as readers and show watchers had yep. at this point. It's like, what the fuck is he doing here? But this is where we get Littlefinger's explanation, and he has some great points. Um, first of all, he says, a man with no motive is a man no one suspects. Like, no one would suspect the guy that the Lannisters have given everything 
to be the one that kills the king. He, also, he says, always keep your foes confused. If they don't know who you are or what you want, they can't know what you plan to do next. And this is kind of the first lesson. Like, thus begins the lessons from Littlefinger to Sansa, which eventually cost him his life. Yeah. He, he, he basically makes her like an apprentice here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, this is another thing that I, I pulled from the inside of the episode. But he kind of like, he kind of is reveling in the opportunity to explain what he's all about. Yeah. And he can do that because Sansa is like completely helpless and powerless. Cur- yeah, he, he not often does he get to converse with people who uh, he could tell all this shit to. Right, yeah, exactly. But then, and, and even though it is a lesson that Sansa takes to heart and uses later to keep your foes confused and to not really like let them know like what your motivations are or might be, it, it's also kind of bullshit because it's not exactly... He's not just doing it just to keep them confused. You know what I mean? No, but he likes to sound as clever as possible. Right, right. <clears throat> yeah, he's a turd. Uh, he does go, you know, we hear him say something like this so many times. He says, I'd risk everything to get what I want. And she's like, and what do you want? And he's like, everything. It's not even clever at this point. No, just, everything for everything. He's like, yeah, okay, he dude. Says, he says the word everything twice there. And it's he just, like, it, not, that was yeah. an opportunity to sound cool as shit. And he mm-hmm. totally blew it. Yeah. He's trying to land this chick. <laughs> like put some fucking effort in guy. Come on. Uh, Littlefinger outlines his new relationship with the Tyrell family. He shines some more clarity onto that whole thing. He points out that they wanted Joffrey dead very badly and says nothing like a thoughtful gift to make a new relationship or a new friendship grow strong. So that just kind of further confirms he worked in cahoots with uh, Olenna Tyrell to make this happen. Flash straight from there to Marjorie and Lady Olenna walking and talking where Elena is informing her granddaughter that she finally has to leave. She's like, the time has come, my dear. Uh, She's going to go back to Highgarden. There's nothing more (laughs) tedious than a trial, except perhaps these gardens. If I have to take one more leisurely stroll through these gardens, I'll fling myself from the cliffs. That was kind of a cool line. It's like, it's not just Lady Elena's um, very unique sense of humor. It's also the show poking fun at itself because... Like ninety nine percent of the scenes she appears in are mm-hmm. her walking through these gardens or sitting beneath that whatever yeah, you call yeah. that type mm-hmm. of thing, uh, eating breakfast or some shit. So I thought that was great. Uh, she then gives Marjorie some background on how she ended up married to her grandfather when originally she was supposed to marry quote some Targaryen or other. Marrying a Targaryen was all the rage back then. She says uh, she the story of how she ended up with her husband is gold. Uh, she's talking about how the evening before Luther, this guy, was supposed to propose to her sister, how Olena herself uh, got lost and happened upon his chamber. She says, the following morning, Luther never made it down the stairs to propose to my sister because the boy couldn't bloody walk. And when he could, the only thing he wanted was what I'd given him the night before. I was good. I was very, very good. You are even better, but you need to act quickly. This is amazing to me. It's like the... The Tyrell women, their skill is like being seductresses. Mm. This is generational. They got that good good. So it's not just Marjorie. It's her fucking grandma. And who knows? I don't know where their mom is yeah. in between. I can't remember what happened with that. But uh, Well, just, and to even, I mean, now that, I, now that you say that and, and, and I'm thinking about it, it, that's even further driven home, I would say, by two things. One, their sigil is a 
is a flower. Yeah. It's a rose. Yeah. And two, name me an important Tyrell man. I mean, like the, 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 the matriarchs here, the women are the powerful Tyrells. Right. It's Olena and Marjorie. Yeah. Mace is a, is a pawn. Mace, Mace is a, just a buffoon. And, and Loras is not concerned with, with anything. It could in that be argued that initially Loras used the Tyrell power of seduction yeah, that's true. to I'm get sure, some sure. place, but that, then yeah. that all went to shit when yeah. uh, Rinley died. Yeah. And I mean, and at this point, he's, he's unconcerned with, with, seeking any real power or anything like that he's not he's not here to play the game and then later very unconcerned <laughs> like the most unconcerned of maybe any character he just wants to stop being tortured by the fucking crazy <laughs> religious people uh but yeah it's a it's a great story from olena just further makes her an interesting character that she boned some dude till he couldn't walk to make a proposal very impressive and uh, she's coaching up Marjorie to lock down Tommen next. That's the whole plan here. That's the move. And to do it as soon as possible because Cersei is distracted by Joffrey's death and accusing Tyrion and the trial and all that shit. Uh, then, Olena, for whatever reason, I'm not really clear. I, I get, I understand the lesson she's trying to pass to her granddaughter here about further using her, like, beauty and her flirtatious nature to achieve you know queenship but why does she tell her the true story of joffrey like she reveals to her that she is the one behind joffrey's murder you don't think i'd let him marry you don't think i'd let you marry that beast do you and marjorie's like wait what the fuck yeah i don't know this uh, it, it almost seemed um careless for her to tell marjorie that it's kind of weird the, the the fewer people that actually know the the, the fewer better. instances uh, that you're able to get caught so uh, which is why i don't think she told her in the first place before it was going down like she didn't tell right, her because right. it wasn't necessary yeah. so why tell her now yeah, it's I'm still not, not necessary i'm not totally sure huh i yeah. guess she's just i guess you know maybe it's just a like maybe for her it's just kind of that's that's like She's treating her as an equal. Like, hey, here's the game plan. This is what we're doing. This is what you like. This is what we did. Why we did it. And now what you have to do. Yeah. That like, makes so sense. instead of just kind of using her as a pawn, she's like kind of keeping leveling her. with her. Yeah. It's a little bit like the Littlefinger Santa situation too, though, where it's like she's relishing in the opportunity to be like, "Yo, you're not gonna believe this shit." Yeah, to get it off her chest. Yeah. I killed this kid. <laughs> Uh, she says, don't you worry yourself about all that. You just do what needs to be done. And it's odd because the whole time she's saying that last bit. She's playing with Marjorie's necklace, <clears throat> which made me think like, is one of those things poison too? Because it's like a similar design. It's got like four or five yeah. things hanging off of it. Anyway, just interesting. Over at the wall, John is training a bunch of new recruits, including fucking Locke from Bruce Bolton's squad, who's already there. Okay. Yeah. Did I miss something? How the hell did this? Do we? What? Yeah. Remember Locke, Locke, Bruce, and... Uh, Ramsey have a conversation where Roos decides his next moves. He's like, all right, Locke, you're going to hit the wall and take out Jon Snow because he's oh, a threat. That's right. He could uh, eventually right. like come back to take the north or whatever. Okay. So that's what he's doing there. Just I'm surprised he's there already. Okay, wait. But are they going to get Locke out of there if he gets rid of Jon Snow? Or is he going to be at the wall forever? Yeah. Nah, he'd just bounce. Locke doesn't agree to like the rules and shit. But then he'd be a... Des you'd think he'd just be a protected under like as a deserter under 
Probably. Yeah. I don't necessarily think that was like a problem. You know what I mean? Like Bruce, Bruce Locke, these guys aren't playing by the rules anyway. They're doing so much illegal, bad, evil shit yeah. that it's like, what's one more fucking desertion, you know? I don't know. I just don't think it matters. Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. That's you're you're right. I I forgot about that. So John idiot. is training all these guys to fight against like wildlings specifically. He's teaching them things about their fighting style and such. This was really this was kind of silly here. It's he a little like, silly. He's like a lot of the wildlings they fight with two weapons. So you got to try to disarm one of them to even the playing field. It's and like we well, yeah, no shit, John. He does it in like one second as if it's the easiest thing ever. And also, why don't if. It, he he pretends that it's like some super powerful uh, like you know skill that they have. Why don't you just fight with two weapons if it's like the greatest thing ever? I, maybe it's something you have to train a really long time to become good at or some <laughs> shit. But yeah, him and Grin are just kind of like trying to. Wouldn't it be easier to just fight with two? It wouldn't even the playing field just be you fighting with two weapons too? It's it's uh, it's weird. <laughs> I guess the assumption is that wildlings train to fight in that manner, so they're skilled at it. Whereas the Night's Watch guys are not. So you have to not get like disarmed. The point, your point stands. It was a little silly, but it's just a way to demonstrate that John, yeah, and his John's boy, out there, and his boy Grin, they're attempting to make a difference. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. yeah, yeah. They're trying to do they're something trying to positive. They're trying to help. That's true. Yeah, and help yeah. the Nights Watch and uh, get these guys sparring a little bit, get, get them trained up. So Locke ends up sparring with some poor bastard that he just like knocks out cold. He really doesn't play it close to the chest <laughs> that he knows how to fight at all. He's uh, obviously it's it's recognized by everybody that he's very good at fighting, and that ends up coming into play. But out of nowhere, then Sir Alistair Thorne approaches, who's always just a treat, and he's like, "Lord Snow, what do you think you're doing?" And uh, he tells John that he's a steward and that Grin is a ranger, and it's not John's job to train anybody. He says, "Go find a chamber pot to empty." Uh, he's an asshole, even at the expense of the wall becoming less heavily fortified by well-trained men. Like, even if it's making the likelihood that they all die higher, he's going to be an asshole to Jon Snow. Mm. Uh, he gets in his face and Alistair says, go on, do it, you traitor's bastard. Give me an excuse. Mormont's not bastard. here to protect you now. You traitor's <laughs> bastard, dude. Brutal. And of course, he's got his sidekick now, Jano Slint, also very pleasant. Yes. Uh, who gives him the idea. He's like, look, man, you're not popular. People don't like you much. You're kind of an asshole. <laughs> Jon Snow, on the other hand, they really dig him. He's their age. He's not a prick. You should probably let that dude go do his thing and attack Craster's Keep, as he was requesting to do last episode, mm -hmm. uh, so that you can let the mutineers at Craster's take care of Jon Snow, because later there's going to be a choosing, and you're only going to be acting commander for so long before that choosing, and if there is a choosing, Jon Snow will definitely get chose over you. Pretty good argument. So mm -hmm, it's, mm -hmm. it, you know, I mean, granted, this all ends up working out for the better, but the fact that Alistair now has an evil sidekick who's giving him good ideas, the wall's a fucking mess. It's just a shitty place to be right now. Yeah. Uh, Locke doesn't introduce himself to Jon. He tells him he got sent to the wall for stealing a partridge, which, like, come up with a believable story. A prize partridge? A bird? <laughs> that's what he That's what he came up with? All the shit this guy's done? He just cut off Jamie Lannister's hand? Anyway, they're familiar with each other now, and that's important. Uh, back in King's Landing, Cersei calls Jamie to her chambers to chastise him for not providing the future King Tommen with enough protection. Jamie's just 
getting beaten down in every damn scene. Uh, she says she's been wondering for months, quote, ever since that great cow brought you back to the capital, about why Catelyn Stark set him free in the first place. And we get this timeline, at least a, somewhat of a timeline, for how long Jamie's been back in King's Landing. It's months. Months at least. And uh, it's interesting to me that not only is Cersei still holding this whole Brienne thing <clears throat> it's bothering her enough that she brings it back up and calls her a great cow but also that she's kind of questioning jamie's loyalty here like she's basically asking why would catelyn stark set you free what did you agree to mm -hmm. in exchange for that uh, she calls him out even further for going to see Tyrion, that creature who murdered our son as she puts it and uh Jamie tries to explain to her, like, look, Tyrion didn't do it. She's like, fuck you, four-minute Tommen's door, day and night. That will be all Lord Commander. Get the hell out. So, like, as you said earlier, Barrett, he's still completely failing yeah. to make a connection with Cersei, other than the rape scene. That's all he's gotten so, <laughs> since they've been back. Yeah. And that probably didn't help much, frankly. Um, next scene we get is a good one. Marjorie sneaking into Tommen's room in order to kind of kickstart their relationship. Uh, first of all, little Tommen, new Tommen, is laying in bed and he hears like the door creak and he's like, Sir Pounce? Sir Pounce? Sir Pounce? Marjorie Probably enters. Probably the most underrated character in the entire show. It is. Sir and Pounce. it's a fan favorite. Yeah. Who we don't know if we'll ever see again. But fingers crossed. What we want here is whoever ends up on the Iron Throne, Sir Pounce has just been like down in the dungeons and the crypts and shit like mm -hmm. eating mice. He returns up mm -hmm. to the throne room and becomes like Danny's pet cat, you know? That would be, yeah. So the show good. ends with her like petting him like Dr. Evil style. But, but the, here's the thing. Dragons probably want to eat cats. Could be tough. Very valid point. Maybe like if you think having a cat when you've got dogs is a problem. Look, some of the Stark kids they lose their pets. They need a new one. Sir Pounce needs a new owner. He does. <laughs> Just needs somebody to fill up the bowl <laughs> yeah. and clean out the fucking litter box. Probably give him some milk. Give him a little saucer of milk. Little saucer table too. Get a saucer. Maybe you know. Maybe you know what? Maybe Sir Pounce ends up with hot pie, and he's just doing the charcuterie boards, and he's doing the saucers of milk. Yeah. yeah. Everybody's happy. Yeah. Anyway, Marjorie enters and, and Tommen's like, how'd you get past the Kingsguard? And this is weird. I noted that her response is... Kingsguard. Kingsguard. <laughs> yeah. What the hell was that? I, I, great question. I was also... I, uh, yeah, so I'm a, I'm a subtitle boy on the rewatch, That's, yeah, obviously. And uh, yeah, I was just like... It, that comes up on the screen. She says, Kingsguard. And I like leaned forward like, waiting yes? for, for her to continue. Yes. Nothing? Nothing. 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 Just no. King, King's God. It's like it was supposed to be a question, uh, but she blew the line and yeah. they just went with it or something. Yeah. I have no idea what that was supposed to mean. I don't know. But She's it, just being coy. I okay, guess. but it also made me wonder, like, did she just suck off that dude to get in the room? It, it does leave the question out there. Like, what did she do to get in there? Because I think she sucked that dude off. <laughs> For, I'm not just being a dick. I really do. Like, she walked straight through the front door. Yeah. Now you have to wonder. What's about to happen here is a shift change where instead of one guy, there's going to be four guys every night. Is she going to have to suck off all four guys? I think maybe, that's an important question. I think maybe there's like a side door. By the way, did we notice that Tommen has had to move into like sicko Joffrey's room? <laughs> yes. 
Like he doesn't get to keep his own bedroom. He has to move uh, to the king's room uh, where, there's, where there's still just like bolts through dead animals hanging up on the wall. And this shit is poor gets, guy. Poor the, kid. the scene gets even more incredible. Tommen's like, mother doesn't allow me to have visitors at night. It's really creepy because Marjorie's responses to him. It's like a mix in between a mix between like flirting and mothering mm-hmm. the way that she's mm-hmm. treating him mm-hmm. because he's a little kid. Uh, Sir Pounce then jumps up onto the bed and Marjorie's petting him and flirting more. And Tommen gives us this little gem. Joffrey didn't like him. He threatened to skin him alive and mix his innards up in my food so I wouldn't know I was eating him. <laughs> and Marjorie's like, that's cruel. Yeah. Yeah. What a sick fuck. So, I, I, yeah, just to that end, you're right. It is very like, it's like this hybrid of like being your mom, but also... Trying you, to get you to want to fuck. Right. Yeah. And I did, earlier in the season, I was curious, so I looked it up. Because, you know, like, Joffrey gets to gets to do some smooching with Marjorie. And so I, I just had to know their age difference in real life. Just mm-hmm. to, you know, just to... Get a I feel just wanted for to it. know what that was like. Just for you. two actors. Yeah. Just for yeah. you. So Marjorie, I think 33-ish, about when this was being shot. Okay. And... uh Joffrey was like 20, 21. So pretty big age difference there. But oh, not, not bad though. But not it's like, like not like crazy. Like, nah. you know, you can make out with a 30 year old when you're 20. Yeah. Um happens all the time. Oh yeah. And I uh, I mean and Marjorie looks fantastic. So uh, She does. She's what a 20 year old would call a MILF. But she's not a mom. But she's not even a she's mommy. Just I a mean hot she's old a mommy, chick. but she's not a mommy. Yeah. And so yeah, so we got Tommen. I don't know how Tom Tom is. I haven't looked it up, but yeah, I mean, she's like younger. She yes, probably thirteen, maybe. Some ar- Could, I'm gonna guess ar- ballpark. Ra- yeah, right around there. Yeah, give or take a year. Probably he's a fucking eighth grader. Yeah, yeah, isn't it? yeah. So you know, this is it's a little. This is some creepy shit, right? And she knows that she's just playing a game. So yes, before leaving, yes. she's like, "Shall I come and visit you again?" And he shakes his head yes, like violently, like he's never shaken his head yes before. <laughs> uh, and then she's like, "Remember." Our little secret. And she like builds up the tension, the sexual tension by getting real close to his face. And I think here, the way I interpreted this is she's like about to close the deal even further by making out with him. But then she's like, you're a fucking child. And she kisses him on the forehead instead. I mean, I think she's like, it's a tease. Yeah. Or it's like, you might get some actual kissing later. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Am I, is this hot older woman about to make out with me? No, she's not. She's kissing me on the head, but maybe I can make out with her later. Yeah. Yeah. And he is so sprung. Yeah. He couldn't, this, he ate this whole fucking thing up and who wouldn't, you Put know? Line and sinker, baby. Hell yeah, dude. This, he's, this is it. He's got Sir Pounce. He's got a hottie that he gets to marry. Unfortunately, his mom is a sociopathic serial killer, but <laughs> you got to move past that. Take the good shit with the bad. Hmm. Uh, next, Hi. we see Brienne and Jamie talking. Brienne is, for whatever reason, reading that book, which we saw earlier in the season, episode one, I think. Yeah, and we talked about it in episode one, about how he has... he still No has, accomplishments. Right, and, and about how he still has time to like fill out those pages. Well, in this episode, he literally says that. Yes, he, out loud. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's a little repetitive. Point that comes out of it, though, is Jamie... Or for, first of all... It should be noted, we do get a little more detail on what exactly it says for Jamie in the book, and it says that he became a Kingsguard at whatever outrageous young age, killed the king, and was henceforth known as the Kingslayer. That's it. Mm-hmm. Probably the worst description of anyone in the book. I would have to guess no one has had a shittier career than him. 
Uh, he does give Brienne his sword. He says it's yours. It was reforged from Ned Stark's sword. You'll you'll use it to defend Ned Stark's daughter. He also gives her a full suit of armor that he had made for her. He says, I hope I got your measurements right, which I found to be interesting because I know that's kind of a joke, but you'd really need that to fit. And she's huge. Mm. How how did he get her measurements is the point I'm making here. He he wagered a guess. Does Jamie strike you as the type of dude who would be able to be like, ooh, 37 long, 16 I and a half in the neck? I guess so. I, whatever. Maybe he had a gig yeah. at Men's Warehouse before this whole Kingsguard thing. I don't know. You thing. know what? To be honest, this is kind of like a TV and movie trope that you see a lot. Is like, and it's always, it's. I always, hope I got your measurements right. Yeah, yeah, and, and it's, it's, it, it goes both ways. I can, I can, I can name a couple of Casino Royale, Casino Royale, James Bond jacket. Yes, she measures, she sizes him up. Yes, and the and uh, miraculously like nails it. It's the most perfectly tailored jacket of all time ever yeah. to be seen on screen. Yeah, but then like the other, the other version is, you, you know, guys are constantly just like bringing girls dresses, right. Like, I hope I got your size right. And they and literally say it, that every time. Yeah, and of course it always fits perfectly. Flawlessly. Yeah. Which, as a man with a girlfriend, I, I can say that it never works like that. That's that's just that's just not how it goes. <laughs> yeah. It's just not. And I'd say you're pretty good on the good side of... Uh, like, I, I, I could... I'd be more comfortable having you guess at someone's size than sure, probably sure. anyone else I know. And you're yep. still going to miss yep. 75% yep. of the time. Yep. It's fucking hard. Anyway, just funny that he that he said that. Jamie is not that dude. Um, Brienne does promise I'll find her, talking about Sansa Stark, uh, for Lady Caitlin, Catelyn and for you. Then he gives her one more gift. It's fucking pod. Bronn gives, uh, or I'm sorry, Jamie gives pod to Brienne as like a squire. And mm -hmm. Brienne is like really resistant to this at first. Like, I don't need a squire, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Pod's got that big smile on his face that becomes the uh, first thing that pops up if you search for him on the internet now. <laughs> uh, Bronn gives Pod Lord Tyrion's axe from the Battle of the Blackwater as a gift from Tyrion, which is kind of cool. Hooks him up with a weapon on his way out. And uh, Jamie and Brienne share this one last little moment together he says this they say the best swords have names and i was waiting for braun or somebody to pop out and be like cunts do <laughs> um but or nobody mountains, did yeah. which was unfortunate or the mountain whatever uh any ideas and brienne's like Oathkeeper, which is the name of the episode and the name of her sword now and the goodbye they share together is like real heavy it's full of emotion um the obvious different interpretations here are that it could be because of all they've gone through together but it could also be because there's more there hmm. in the way of a love relationship. Of I mean, you, Barrett, what do you... I'm not shipping their relationship. I'm not shipping them. I'm not saying you have to ship it, but there's no none of that for you between them. You think it's just mutual love and respect and like we've been through all this shit. We believe in the same type of... We like the same shit. Like two, you know, well-trained fighters... Yes, I, I mean I don't know. I think it's like, I think it's like eighty-five percent that I'll um, give fifteen percent to the to the maybe there's something more there. I I go a little. I'd probably be like sixty-five, thirty-five. Okay, but I am not with the whole potential ending up together thing. A lot of people are riding this wave, like they're trying right. to see Brienne and uh, Jamie end up together in season yeah. eight. Yeah, that's just a big jump. 
I, I agree. That's a really big jump. Yeah. I don't. I just don't know about all that. Uh, anyway, it is kind of sad, but we see Brienne and Pod go. They are yet another great buddy cop duo yeah. that we've got great out duo. there. Great duo. And eventually, as we know, these two buddy cop duos collide. Can't wait for that shit. That is true. Um, she's going to find Sansa Stark and try to keep her safe. Over at the wall, Sam finally comes to his senses and realizes that Gilly was much safer there with him. It took one episode. He's like, fuck, we got to go get Gilly from Molestown. Molestown is less safe than here. For a smart guy, probably Sam's dumbest decision he ever makes. Um, he's just admitting the salt to John that he needs to go save her from Molestown. Sir Alistair sanctions John's foray to Craster's Keep, but says he can only take volunteers. He says he won't order anyone to go with him. Uh, and that there are... We find out there are 60 miles of wilderness between there and Craster's, which I was trying to think about, like, how quickly could I get 60 miles without a car? And it would take a while. So, yeah. It would take a while. Yeah. Uh, John uses Mormont's legacy, Giora Mormont, and the fact that these fuckers at Craster's stabbed Mormont in the back, and the prospect of giving Mormont justice he uses all that to urge men to join his squad to roll to Craster's. Grin stands first, then Ed, both guys we're very familiar with, then some random dudes who will almost certainly die, uh, then Locke, which is it's not good. Uh, John points out to Locke, he's like, look, man, I can't let a recruit go north of the wall because Locke is brand new. And Locke is like, well, then let me say my vows. And Alistair is like, yeah, yeah, sure. What the fuck, man? What is this? I don't know. I don't really know. They just know. cut I, all the red tape. Yeah, and I'm not exactly sure what's going on with this whole with this whole crackpot scheme anyway. Because one, yeah, they're gonna they're gonna try to get rid of John this way, but they're gonna lose other guys who they need. I don't think they thought people would volunteer. Okay. That's which the is, problem. Which is also problem I, number which one. Which is I also which what I thought about. Yeah. But if nobody else volunteers, do you expect John to go by himself? Solo dolo. Out to Craster's. No. So no. So you want him to go on this mission. So it's almost like you should have forced people to go. Like with him. the shittiest guys. Yeah. And but like given him like the three worst dudes there. I think the explanation is that Alistair and uh, dipshit Janus Janos are not smart. Yeah. They're, they're yeah, just kind this, of this whole thing. I mean, this whatever. is weird. Like, it, come on. There, there, there's already chaos at the wall. If you really want him dead, just. Go fucking kill him. If we know anything about the wall, it's that nobody gets a free pass to saying their vows early or anything like that. It's all by the book. There's no way that they would be like, <laughs> yeah, let this creepy bearded guy who looks like he might have done some evil shit in his day. Let yeah. him just go ahead and join up. Mm -hmm. Fuck it. No training for him. Let him say his <laughs> vows. Don't really get it. But anyway, as we know, Locke's whole reason for being at the wall is to kill Jon Snow so that he can't be a threat to Bruce Bolton's claim on the north. This isn't good that Locke is in the squad, but John's got to be kind of happy. With, it's a good-sized squad that he's put together to go hit Craster's. Speaking of which, at Craster's Keep now, the psycho in charge currently is Crazy Carl. Uh, we find out his name is Carl Tanner from Gin Alley. Gin Alley referenced again. Did you notice this? What the fuck are the odds that the guy's last name is Tanner? <laughs> Crazy Carl Tanner from Gin Alley. No relation to Tanner Lannister. No relation. No relation. But what were you saying about Janali? Oh, you just that's Davos, Davos is from Janali. Yeah, this is the yeah. second dude we've met now from there. But Crazy Carl is going extra crazy up here. Oh my god. Crazy. He has cabin this, fever, I believe. 
this scene where he is just like guzzling wine out of Mormont's skull. He's he's drinking wine from the skull and drops approximately like seventeen f bombs and c words in a just in a row, it's just a, all it's, in one. It's it might be the most the single most like <laughs> prototypical villainous scene in the entire in the entire series. Like he is so he's over the top, evil. over the top, like aggressively horrible and yes. bad to and, everyone, <laughs> not just. Not just like the chicks, everyone. It, He's yeah. brutal to his own guy. Uh, yes, no, they're getting. You're, you're exactly right. They're getting cabin fever because he is going just real. I mean, he's crazy, Carl. He's going he's, crazy. Crazy Carl is speaking, <laughs> having a conversation with your fucking Mormont skull, of which he is drinking wine out of. Uh, he says, "Any command from us, Lord Commander? What's that? Fuck them till they're dead." <laughs> Did you hear that, boys? Fuck them till they're dead. And then we get like these weird shots of all these different people like making sex. There's Craster's yeah. wife, daughters. Yes. They're raping everybody. They're the raping whole thing everybody. is a disaster. Crazy yeah. Carl then turns on Rast. He tells him to go outside and feed the beast. Uh, he's referring to Ghost, of course, as we find out in a few minutes. But Rast <laughs> is like, uh, we should kill that thing, which is actually a good idea on Rast's part if you want to be on the bad side of the ball. And Carl's response is beautiful. He says... You should shut your fucking hole, <laughs> ugly little cunt. You look like a fucking ball sack. Ugly. Look at your stupid cunt face. I could piss in any gutter and so five of you. Know how much they'd pay me to kill a man in King's Landing? Seven silvers. They told me a man's name and that man never saw daylight again. None of them cocksuckers got away from me. Haven't lost a fight since I was nine. Maybe it's time. What do you think, eh? Maybe you're the man, eh, cunt? And Rast is like, I wouldn't stand a chance. None of us would because he's... The huge pussy. But then Crazy Carl goes full high school hero here. He's like, I was a fucking legend in Gin Alley. A fucking legend. I would take any night, any night, any time. And he's kind of talking to himself at this yeah, point. He's just yeah. like the drunk guy in the bar talking about his high school football stats. I got through seven touchdown passes in the state championship game. It's like, Carl, sit the fuck down and drink out of your skull. Uh, one of the sister wives or a servant, I'm not really clear, comes in with Craster's last born son. Hmm. Which causes this creepy chant to begin. A gift for the gods. A gift for the gods. <laughs> that was crazy. Carl's like, what the fuck is going on? Anyway, gives the baby to Rast and makes him take him out to the woods to give to the White Walkers. Uh, Rast goes out there, stumbles along. The baby's fussing and crying and shit. And just, I don't know how he knows which spot to put him in. Is it just that the cries will bring out the White Walkers no matter what? I think so, yeah. Okay, because he just kind of sets them down in a random spot. Just go put them in the woods deep in there and nice and deep-like. And yeah, yeah, real nice and deep-like. <laughs> uh, it's it's sad to see a baby get set down in the forest. Anyway, he passes Ghost on the way back and kind of mocks him, like pours out all of his drink onto the ground after he asks Ghost if he's thirsty, mocking a caged wolf. Nice. Yeah, and also, okay, we're about to see Summer here, and uh, Summer is the size of a fucking Range Rover, but like in this in this scene, Ghost doesn't look all that big in this cage. I don't know. They just they this show had this show had a hard time with the direwolves. They really did. It's it's I'd say the biggest place they've struggled. They the, the there are sizing inconsistencies all over the place. You never because we get this scene here. Where Summer is standing over Bran, and she—he's uh, sitting down, but she's like ten times his size. She's massive. I think you were pretty spot on. <laughs> size of a damn SUV, dude. Yeah, and 
but then ghost is just in this cage and then it's like what can these things do and not do they're the they're crazy strong like miraculous beings yeah you tell me it can't break out and of then, a wooden it, cage it can't break out of that wooden cage it's thing? made of sticks yeah from a tree so i'm just i'm i'm a uh, that's you know i'm just picking nits here but. no you are but it's 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 a fair point it's i i can't Say another area of the show where they struggled like they did with the dire. It comes from a place of love because the dire sure. are super tight. They are, and I, you know, it was just a hard thing to execute, yeah. I suppose. Yeah. Um. But yeah, he so he's mocking Ghost. Ghost jumps up and knocks Rast onto his ass just from being scared. Uh, then we see like we hear a crow's call. The wind starts blowing, and that water that Rast just poured out to mock Ghost, it suddenly is frozen. As we know, this means the White Walker has come to grab that baby. Uh, suddenly, we see Hodor, Bran, Jojen, and Mira, who also can hear this baby crying. So they must be super close <sighs> to Craster's Keep. And Jojen points out that it's coming. That baby is on the move. So it has already been picked up by the White Walker. Uh, Bran's like, well, I want to see what's going on. He wargs into Summer, who is the size of a Range Rover, as Barrett pointed out. And uh, Summer hears and sees Ghost locked up in a cage just before falling into a trap. <clears throat> the next day, Bran and his squad go peep the situation at Craster's. And they're like, hey, these guys are Night's Watch guys. And after about 30 seconds of watching them, they're like, ooh, maybe they're not Night's Watch anymore. These are bad guys. Uh, and then their entire thing is kind of th- blown up immediately because they get busted and locked up into a keep. Hodor is... Do, do we know why Jojen's looking so rough here? He's sick. Something's yeah, wrong okay. with his ass because he's having the seizures, as we know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's all sweaty. He's all... He's, yeah, he's looking fuck? sick as hell. I, I don't... I don't think we ever get further explanation about what's going on with that. Man, but he, Remember, Barrett, the only thing we've ever gotten is... The visions take their toll. They take their toll. Right, right, right. So we just have to assume that for whatever reason, whatever that toll is, it's progressing. Because he yeah. looks shittier and shittier every time we see him. Uh, anyway, they're torturing Hodor, bullying him. They've all got They've got him tied up. Rass yells, if I was your size, I'd be king of the fucking world at him. Uh, then Crazy Carl starts interrogating Bran and trying to get him to tell who he is. He grabs Miro, holds a knife to her neck. Jojen has a seizure. Bran finally yells out, I'm Brandon Stark, I'm Brandon Stark of Winterfell. Rast is like, hey, it's Jon Snow's brother. And then we're gone from Craster's Keep again. The closing scene of the episode is a White Walker riding on horseback uh, with the baby, presumably the baby that Rast just put in the woods in his arms. It definitely is that child. Uh, At one point, Barrett, I found this to be strange. We get a POV from the baby looking up at the White Walker? Mm -hmm. That was a little weird to me. Uh... It was almost like, I just can't think of an instance where we get a POV shot like that that's not someone warging, and it almost made me think like you could take that as maybe it was the Three-Eyed Raven bouncing into that baby to get a look at that White Walker or some yeah, shit. Yeah, they, they actually do talk about this a little bit in the inside of the episode. Oh, really? Yeah, the, but it's it's a pretty you know easy explanation. They just said that they wanted to shoot this scene from the POV of the baby. Oh, there you so go. they so that's why you get like you actually you you literally get a POV shot as if we're in the in baby the, yeah but then like it, it's very it, they said that they like made it claustrophobic and like a little vague and that you get the shot like from under the little ice right. stump so that you know and it's just you can't, you can't quite see tell everything what's talking because yeah. you because they shot it with you know kind of the narrow perspective of the baby an infant yeah okay 
Yeah, at one point, this White Walker appears to be crossing like a frozen lake. Mm. Uh, he takes the baby and he places him on some White Walker altar in front of what we can see in the background. is like this blurred... It appears to be 13, at least, other White Walkers. Uh, then one of them that we come to know later on, the Night King, he comes forward and takes the baby and he places his crusty-ass finger with his long coke nail on the baby's face and uh, the baby's eye, uh, his eyes go icy blue roll credits we've had some discussion about this this is apparently this is not in the books this scene is not in the no books. no this is complete show it, is, it uh benioff says that it is suggested by the books the scene this this instance or this scene or this that that this happens is suggested by the books but it is not actually in them um, but it, it stirs up a lot of questions like, well, yeah, go ahead. Well, this is a baby. Mm -hmm. It's just been turned into a white Walker baby. Mm -hmm. Now what is there? Yes. Is he going to, they going to raise it? What the fuck's the deal here? Right. And I don't know. And this is, we're not even halfway through season four here. And this is supposed to be this big reveal. They call it like a, a nasty surprise in the, in the, uh, when they're talking about the episode, and then it literally does not matter for the next three four and a half, episodes, three four and a half seasons. seasons. Yeah, and I don't. And in that, uh, yeah, I don't. I don't know. And we've talked. We've had this conversation a lot. Like, when are they going to give us the damn story of the White Walkers? Are there White Walker women? Do they raise the babies? I just and how and how are they going to squeeze all that in when they have when we have six episodes left? They're probably not. Uh, it's just interesting to me that they took the time to show this scene, to show the physical act of transforming yeah. the baby into a White Walker. Yes. Uh, which, as you pointed out, it's something we never see again until mm -hmm. the Night King does the exact same thing with Drogon. Uh, or what? Viserion. Viser Viserys. Viserion. 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 Yeah. Viserion. Yeah. Um, and it's just, it just makes you have a lot of questions about the whole setup because it's like, okay... So what, in 20 years, that baby will be a useful White Walker? Or in 18 years? What, I, for, for now, it's just going to fucking cry and yeah, I don't know. breathe, you know, be able to see its own breath? I just don't see what... It, it's just interesting Yeah, that they went so far as to show us that and to, to never give us well, more... Well, because it felt really important at the time. Like, yeah, this I was nearly like, shit my pants. This was like, oh my God. This was like a Twitter freakout moment yeah. where it was like, what the fuck? What the fuck just happened? Yeah. People are pausing it, like counting all the shadows in the mm -hmm. background. Like, how many fucking people are there? What the fuck? Yeah. And then we never get anything else. Yep. Um, so yeah, obviously, if there's a way for us to get more, I would like more. Yeah. We, we've asked many times, please. Anyway, that was the episode. Uh, another good one. I think... This one rem reminded me of most of the other things that happened in this season, which I was psyched with because like, I couldn't remember mm -hmm. a lot of the bigger plot points before that. Uh, we will be back next Monday to talk about the fifth episode of season four titled First of His Name, written by Benioff and Weiss and again directed by our girl Michelle McLaren. Remember to hit manoutfitters.com and invoke Sumai at checkout for 15% off your entire order if you spend $150 or more with free shipping always. You can also go to another one of our properties here at Grand X, RowdyGentleman.com, which is where, Rowdy Gentleman, for those who are unaware, it's our in-house clothing brand. We design and create and sell all the products here ourselves. Uh, Barrett is actually a huge, huge part of that process. 
He handles all the design work and the sourcing of all the fabrics and puts all the stuff together. Uh, so if if you want to support Barrett and all the hard work that he does, go to RowdyGentleman.com. Check out all the new Hawaiians we've got in our Spring 18 collection. Fantastic t-shirts and swim trunks and hats as well. It's a great product offering. The whole kind of motif we went with for this collection was Vacation Forever. And it is very cool. I thoroughly enjoy it uh, myself. And you can invoke Sumai on RowdyGentleman.com to get 10% off your entire order. So go load up on that shit. It's good stuff. Forever. Forever. Yeah. Follow us on Instagram at Oysters, Clams, Cockles, and on Twitter at Clams and Cockles. You can like us on Facebook.com slash Oysters, Clams, and Cockles. Subscribe to Freeze All Motor Functions on iTunes if you're a Westworld viewer. Uh, you can follow me, Ross Bolin, on Instagram, Twitter, and Snapchat at WRBolin. Barrett, where can you be followed on social media? Find me on all of the social mediums at Barrett Dudley. Shouts to Sir Pounce. All right. Hotline. 86643clams. Call with clam fam corrections, theories, topics, whatever you want. If you're enjoying the night's rewatch and you're a recent recruit, we would very much appreciate it if you would go on iTunes and not only subscribe to the show by searching Oysters, Clams, and Cockles on iTunes and hitting the subscribe button, but also if you would take the, what, 28 seconds that it takes to get, leave a rating and write a review. It's super, super quick. It means a lot to us. If you're a longtime member of the clam fam and you've never done this, shame on you. You should do it now. Shame, shame, shame. Five-star rating. Write a quick review. If you're looking for uh, some already existing Oysters, Clams, and Cockles and Game of Thrones-themed T-shirts, you can go to grandexshop.com OCC to check out all the ones we've made and released thus far. And one day when the time is right, you'll get another update on the shirt that was promised. We'll be back next Monday. First of his name... <laughs>